Hey guys, welcome to the show. Before we begin, I'd like to let you know that you can find us on Twitter at ICGAW, that's I-C-G-A-W. You can also email us at ICGAWpod at gmail.com. Today we'll be checking out a question that was tweeted into us, so feel free to add to the conversation and shoot them in. Tell your friends to check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you find your podcasts. All right, here we go. What's up, guys? Welcome to It Can't Get Any Worse, America's Worst Podcast for America's Worst Hockey Team. I'm your host, Jay, and on today's show, in What Are You Reading?, we're going to be discussing the wealth of first and second round picks that get dealt by NHL teams. In part two, we'll be recapping the seventh, eighth, and ninth straight wins for the Sabres over the Flyers, Habs, and Red Wings. And in part three, we'll be looking ahead to the Sharks, Lightning, and Panthers, and we'll finish the show talking about what's going on down the road in Rochester, around town in the league, and opening up a few mailbag questions. If you enjoy the show, we would so appreciate it if you would drop us a five-star review on iTunes. We so appreciate the support and kind words. Here we go on to part one. Moving on to part one with what are you reading, here's our headline, why NHL clubs are trading picks like never before. This comes from Ozzy or OZY.com. It seems like it's a bit of a new age news site. I'd never been there before. It just came up on Google and I found it kind of interesting. It's by Cameron Berger. It was published a couple days ago on the 25th. Or is the 25th today? The 25th is today. Oh, yep. Published today. Um, and it starts off by talking about the trade with Gretzky going to the Kings and how that in many ways changed hockey forever. And they come back to that and we'll come back to that in just a second. But they referenced the Max Pacioretty trade from the offseason in which Vegas traded Nick Suzuki, their 2017 first round selection, Thomas Tatar, and a second round pick for a 29-year-old forward. And what this author actually leaves out is that only six months earlier, Vegas had traded a first round pick, a second round pick, and a third round pick to acquire Tatar at the deadline. He subsequently only played eight playoff games for them. But anyway, in this Pacioretty trade, you've got two, technically you've got two first round picks, a second round pick, another second round pick, a third round pick, and Thomas Tatar, who was a second round pick, all in one trade. If you think about a trade tree and how far back things reach, um, Berger states that Berger, Berger, we'll call him Berger rather than Berger. Berger states that the surface oddity talking about this Vegas trade, of course, is that a team only in its second year of existence would pay such a price to win now. Then again, the real oddity might be that this isn't odd at all. And this is the stat that most of this article hinges on. Since the start of the 2016-2017 season, NHL franchises have exchanged or traded away a shocking 78 first or second round picks. And the author cites the Gretzky trade as when we saw a bit of a shift between teams typically not dealing these picks and teams starting to deal these first and second round picks at a much higher rate. 
Here's the quote. In the three years prior to Gretzky's salary going north, talking about the trade, NHL teams exchanged 33 first and second rounders. In the three years after, that number shot up to 61. He then moves on to analyze why picks are such a tradable currency in the modern era and cites NHL analyst Mike Colligan, who begins talking about just the struggles of cap era, of the cap era, and how teams need to get creative in their trades. Here's Colligan's quote. Sometimes players who never plan to play another game are packaged up with valuable prospects to convince another team to take on the cap burden, Colligan says. He also notes the unpredictability of the draft as being a factor for teams taking more chances now at the trade table, as analysis has proven that picks in the latter half of the first round are minimally better than second or third round selections. Another issue that teams face that Berger goes on to talk about is the no movement clause, which have been popular in the last few seasons. Teams entice players to sign long-term contracts by inserting a no movement clause. It's basically like saying, hey, if you sign this long-term contract, we'll guarantee that you won't be traded to some obscure corner of the world and you won't be buried in the minors when you get old and are no longer worth your contract. When your players get the chance to say no to a trade, on the other hand, at the very end, they become much more difficult or even impossible to trade as assets. Think about the Jeff Skinner trade this summer. Buffalo got a cut rate deal on Jeff Skinner because he had to agree to come to Buffalo. There were only a certain number of teams that he might have said yes to. Sometimes, because of this, you only have picks to trade if your more valuable assets are literally untradeable. This immediately made me think of the Sabres again and that stat that 78 first and second round picks have been traded in the last two seasons. Just in what's visible on capfriendly.com, the Sabres have two additional first round picks in this upcoming draft from the Evander Kane and Ryan O'Reilly trades, an additional second round pick in 2021 from the O'Reilly trade, and they traded their own second round pick in this upcoming 2019 draft as part of the Skinner deal. That's four transactions just on one team, and we haven't even made the playoffs recently to be buyers at the deadline to trade picks at the deadline. Speaking of that, it also just made me think of the results of this Sabres season. One of the things that I think is the most impressive about that Skinner trade was that it got over the line without ditching any of the four first-round picks that the Sabres have over the next two years going the other way to Carolina. That feat seems to kind of lie in objection to the stats and trends in this article, but it does make you wonder what Botterill might have up his sleeve come February. Personally, I think I would rather draft three players in this upcoming draft. If we can, the picks are protected. I think we'll definitely be seeing San Jose's um, first-round pick as that one is lottery protected. But with the St. Louis Blues struggles, that one's top 10 protected. I think we can certainly say we are not guaranteed that pick this season. We might be taking that pick in 2020. But Back to the point, I would rather see us draft two or three players this year rather than spend either of those picks this year at the deadline. I think the Sabres are on a bit of a 2020 plan to be going for it by that standpoint. It's really exciting that, as we'll talk about later this episode, the Sabres are on a nine-game winning streak and currently top of the NHL standings. But it's definitely not sustainable, and this isn't a team that I would back to go very, very far in the playoffs. And I don't think spending these picks now is the best idea. 
However, if the deal is good and helps the team, late first rounders statistically aren't that great compared to second and third round picks. Maybe you spend one of those picks and get a player who helps the team for longer than the rest of this season and the postseason. Who knows? But at this point, I would, I'm would i really excited to see us draft three players in this upcoming draft rather than pitch any of those picks. Anyway, that's it for What Are You Reading? I will tweet the link to that article and we'll hop on over to part two where we will recap the Sabres' seventh, eighth, and ninth straight wins. Moving on to part two, and the day before Thanksgiving, the Sabres welcomed the Philadelphia Flyers to town. Before the game, Marco Scandella, who took that puck from Afghani Malkin to the ankle in the previous game, was skating, but eventually left the ice limping. He was listed as day-to-day. Berglund was also missing day-to-day with an upper body injury, but uh, the good news was that Scott Wilson was announced as being close to returning. Because of the absence of Scandella, Lawrence Pilot was called up and the world melted in excitement, but ultimately he ended up not playing. Things ended up being pretty typical with the lineup. The J crew was up on top. We had Sherry Middlestat Akposo in the second line. Tage Thompson came in at left wing after his goal against the Penguins. He comes in for this one against the Flyers. Um, other major news, we're seeing a small little trend of Rasmus Dahlin playing with Bogosian. And the Sabres opened it up early and continued a first period stretch of quite quite a dominant performance. Just three and a half minutes in, Eichel entered the zone at speed. He ran into a little bit of traffic and the puck fell to Pominville, who hits one off the pad. The, pluck, the puck rebounds to Skinner in the slot, who buries his 15th of the season past Alex Lyon. Just about a minute and a half later, Tage Thompson pinches on the boards in the neutral zone and wins an advantageous turnover. He gives it to Kyle Ocposo, who gives it to Sabatka, who returns it to Thompson, who comes in at speed, comes in down the left-hand side, uses his strength to hold off Gudis, uses his reach to put it far side on Lyon from close in. It's a great goal, and as we'll talk about several times this episode, we're really seeing him start to come to life here. Sabres are up 2-0 five minutes in. Um, about six, seven minutes later, with about 8.55 remaining, the Sabres are on the power play where Evan Rodriguez had replaced the injured Patrick Berglund, and he's the one who gets the goal. Darlene bombs one in. It's saved by Lyon. Sam is whacking at it, and it falls to Erod, who has a bit of work to do and has to wait just the perfect amount of time to shoot it through a free lane. It's 3 nothing. Late in the period, Hutton has to make a quick few saves, and Risto ends up behind the goal with the puck. He gets a few seconds to pick his pass, and he wings it across two blue lines, or almost across two blue lines, to where Erod is waiting right on the offensive blue line. Erod has an excellent layoff to Larson. I'm not entirely sure that that was intentional. It was just kind of a one-touch whack, but it falls straight to Larson streaking in, and he puts it high blocker over Lyon for the Sabres' fourth. Off the next faceoff, Johan Larson drops his gloves at the end of the first period against Scott Lawton, and this was an NBA, or NBA, a national broadcast on NBC, and so Rob Ray and Dan Dunleavy were not on the call on this one on the air, but they were on the radio, and if you listen to the radio highlights, Rob Ray is is heard afterwards saying, yeah, suck on that there, nice job, Johan Larson. Sabres outshoot 12 to 7 in the first 
and it's just a dominant period for them. Into the second, um, we see it go 4-1, about five and a half minutes in. Konecki plays it into the corner to Couturier behind the net, who gets to be just way too casual and come around the other side. He lays up Giroux in the slot, who does what Claude Giroux does. Two guys you really just can't give that much time and space to, and it's 4-1. Later in the period, about 14 minutes in, the Flyers won an offensive faceoff. It comes to the point. Hutton's rebound gets away from him, and Wayne Simmons is able to hammer one home uh, through the five-hole. It was just a sloppy second period. They were outshot 9-5 to on the period, and Housley and several of the guys afterwards said that they had lost track of the game plan in this period and had to get back to playing their game that had seen them be so dominant in the first period. In the third, the Sabres got lucky that this game didn't become a little bit closer. There were some inch-close passes that didn't quite work out, some posts, some great Hutton saves, and the Sabres see it out until the Flyers pull. Eichel just makes a world-class effort to rob the puck at the point off of Voracek. He bursts ahead and shoots from the blue line, but his flip just goes goes just wide. He then chases his own shot into the other side of the net, strips Gossesphere in the corner, and feeds Sam Reinhardt, who buries the empty netter. Sabres see it out 5-2 winners. With that win, the Sabres go briefly to the top of the Eastern Conference standings for a few minutes until the Tampa Bay Lightning game finished. They're 14-6-2 on the season with 30 points. Three points from this game. Point one. All right. We all might have been wrong about Tage Thompson's development plan. He is now playing several games in a row and performing, and we're seeing all facets of his game on display in this game. Pace, power, technical ability, a blast against the Pens, a pacey, powerful crashing of the net against the Flyers. He's getting power play time. I think the biggest change, other than obviously a significant increase in ice time, is he's now playing left wing, which we're seeing him be a much more dominant force from that side. But let's see how the next few games go. Does he continue to get these minutes? Does he continue to get these games? Point two, Sam Reinhart continues to impress quietly. He now has three goals and 13 assists. He had one and one in this game against the Flyers. And an interesting stat that I read, um, he is now tied for goals over his Sabres career with Evander Kane, which for whatever reason, I never would have pictured that he would have the same number of goals as someone like Evander Kane. I think Reinhardt does this much more quietly, but he's quietly impressing as the season goes on. Point three from this one, the world is starting to notice the Buffalo Sabres. They were discussed on numerous aspects of media throughout the week on the Steve Dangle podcast, which is a particular favorite of mine. They're Leafs fans discussing the rise of the team that had really suffered with them during similarly timed rebuilds. They were discussed on the Spit and Chicklets podcast, and those guys noted how long the world has just ripped on the Sabres for season after season. And the NHL Network awards the Sabres the, quote, Bridgestone Clutch Performance of the Night. And we'll be unveiling the banners for that one next week. But the NHL also tweeted that this game was the highest ever viewer rating in Buffalo. So get ready for 17 national games next year. Moving on to, what would it be, Thursday night. The Habs have anti Oh, no, that was Thursday night was Thanksgiving. This would be Friday night. Um, yes, Friday night for the 4 o'clock game. The Habs have Antti Niemi in net for this one, and lines mostly stay the absolute same. Um, Hutton is still in net, 
Pilot, Eli, and Nelson are scratched. The one that was frustrating about this one is that Lawrence Pilot was not sent back down to Rochester for their game that night, which we'll talk about later in the show. Um, but we see Bolieu, Scandella, and um, who am I missing here? Yes, Bolieu and Scandella playing while Nelson is scratched. Uh, 12-39 into the first, McCabe puts one on net. It's tipped by Sherry, and it sneaks by Niemi, but it hits the post. Middlestat arrives and smacks it home right a 1-0 lead. Balance of this game in the first is probably in favor of the Habs. It's what we've normally seen out of Montreal this season. They're hard, they're fast, and they're slightly lacking in finishing ability. But the Sabres have capitalized. Tage Thompson and Darlene also get really good looks in the first, and the Sabres are on top. Into the second, Tage Thompson probably gets the best chance to double it as he goes for a ride across the front of the net and clears Niemi's pad as he tries to tuck it in near side, but Petrie gets his stick to it, and the Sabres also saw a power play blanked in this period. Later in the second, Tatar wins it back in the defensive zone, zips it to Deneau in the neutral zone. He feeds Brendan Gallagher coming across the line. Gallagher wrists it past Hutton for the equalizer. I mean, Brendan Gallagher, he's just a, a hard Hard-playing, hard-working player. Just, you know, he's, he's never going to impress you with his stats, but he's a lot of fun to watch play. Just his attitude, his passion. It's a tie game, and we've got it tied up going into the third. A little under halfway through the third, the Habs get a power play. Schlemko snaps one in from the back. Shaw gets a great tip on it, and it's 1-2. Sabres tanked up the pressure and are now trying to get back into the fight. And stop me if you've heard this before, but I think Sabres fans were maybe resigned to things just not working out in this game and finally seeing the streak end. It wasn't the most dominant pressure, and the Habs were being their usual hardworking and pesky selves. Two and a half minutes in, or sorry, two and a half minutes remaining, Eichel gets into the zone and dumps it back to Bogo, who blasts it. It rebounds off Niemi's pad to fall to an arriving Jeff Skinner for his 16th of the season tie game, but they don't get out of it easily. Hutton has to make some great saves on Gallagher again to get to overtime. In overtime, the Sabres do get a bit of a gift. Risto is going to the net and takes a slashing call from Domi. I think it was a legitimate slashing call, but he also sort of soccer flopped across the net to try to get a tripping call as well. I think we were really lucky not to see an embellishment call there. The Sabres are awarded it, and they run out with a line of Eichel, Skinner, Risto, and Darlene, um, and they hold the Habs in for a long time, like well over 90 seconds of possession for this power play, power play before Darlene whips it in. Eichel whacks at it in the scrum, and as Niemi is falling down, Skinner gets it out in front with just a wall of Habs defensemen in front of him, but he just sneaks it through for a 3-2 overtime winner and his 17th of the season. We are 15-6-2. Last year, the Sabres did not get their 15th win until February. Three points from this one, Jeff Skinner. It's time to pay him. Um, but at the same time, it might not be. I read something, a little bit of a report, that there are plans to sit down with Jeff Skinner, but neither camp is planning to do so until after Christmas. So it might be a little bit of a Christmas gift for us. Um, there's been a lot of discussion about what that contract would look like. We talked about it last time about how Skinner is probably going to want something like nine. I don't think you should pay him anything more than eight. It'll be really interesting to see what possible numbers from that look like, but just a grade a player. I think they've really, they, I don't think they need to sit down with this guy and try to get something over the line. Point two from this one. Rasmus Dahlin's points are starting to come through, and so are Casey Middlestats. After 
quiet starts for both of them. Dalene's 12 points have him tied for third in rookie scoring, although Elias Peterson has 19, so he's the runaway Calder favorite. Casey Middlestat now has eight after starting very slowly, and he has two goals in his last four games. And point three, the Sabres are finally able to keep Johnny Drouin and Max Domi quiet. Domi had five points in two games and his against the Sabres, and his terrorizing of Marco Scandella had become a significant motif of those games. Both players are held pointless here, and these Montreal games are just fun. I mean, and we won't see them again until March, and I think we can maybe, for the sake of our heart rates and health, we can be thankful for that. We won't see them for several months, but here we are. I believe last season the Montreal Canadiens swept the Sabres 4 nothing across all the games this season. Here we are with three wins against them in this season. Moving on, we go to a back-to-back at Detroit on Saturday. Um, Remy Eli came into this one for Giergensen's, possibly for a chance for him to save his very short Sabres career with Wilson being on the mend and maybe a few weeks away from returning. We see Nelson come in for Beaulieu, and we see Allmark in goal. With Tampa and Nashville having the night off, the Sabres have a chance to go top of the league with these um, top of the league with a win tonight. And one minute and 37 seconds in, they get off the mark. The Sabres get a power play early on on a too-many-men call, and they capitalize as Skinner hammers home a rebound. 18th of the season, and he is, according to TSN, the first Sabre to score 12 goals in a November month since Gilbert Perot in 1977. That goal also sent him to the very top of the NHL goal standings over Pasternak and Ovechkin, but he had lost it before this game was over because Patrick Laine put up five goals against the Blues. So, cool for about five minutes, and it's over. Uh, Detroit were not lifeless in this one. Linus had to make some great saves on a couple two-on-ones that got flipped in, and he also had this really weird one where the puck got flipped in, and he committed to coming to the side of the goal to trap it to block it down and it took just a freak bounce and ended up back on target in the now empty net and he had to flop back and sprawl backwards to grab the puck it would have been a highlight fail um, but he was able to recover Sabres also kill a penalty and they get lucky on an open net chance on a square pass that gets tipped bu- tipped wide by Andreas Anathasu I definitely spelled that name wrong in the show notes looking at it And the Sabres end the period, thankfully, on some better possession. They're drawing some good saves from Jimmy Howard. Thompson hits a meaty post with a move that we're starting to be a bit see a bit more. He uses his body to shield the puck and then wrist one quickly from close to his feet, which must require an incredible amount of skill considering how long his reach and his stick are. Sabres end the first on top, although it is certainly not without some shakes and bumps along the way. Into the second, 53 seconds in, Linus is going to want one back. Dylan Larkin is on the boards around the circle, and he wrists one inside Allmark and the post from a seemingly safe angle. A little bit of a suboptimal one to let in, but it's 1-1, 53 seconds in. Sabres get a chance to respond on the power play, but it's pretty lifeless, and the Wings are able to flex their muscles on what is a pretty effective power play for them. They were fifth Um, fifth in the overall standings with their penalty kill in the league going into this one. Allmark is called in on a breakaway. He makes an incredible double save on Mantha, but it signals a bit of a shift in pressure as Detroit piles it in. Scandella goes to the box, 
tripping 13 minutes in, but the Sabres are able to kill. The Red Wings slightly tip shooting in this one, and it's a bit of a sloppy one, and you get the sense that it's there for the taking for both teams. I mean, these are two teams that have made a name for themselves coming back from games, especially recently, and here they are. It's 1-1. Early bits of pressure from the Sabres and some good saves from Allmark when the wings break in the third. The teams end up four on four, and Allmark makes some brilliant saves on a Larkin breakaway. As the man advantage shifts to the Sabres, Darlene tees up Tage Thompson for a blast that Howard had no chance on. That's three goals in four games for Tage Thompson, and if that's the winner, which it ended up not being, it's the ninth different game-winning scorer in this potentially nine-game winning streak. We didn't see that happen, but that's kind of an interesting stat that over the previous eight straight wins, there were eight different game-winning goal scorers. 13.52 into the third, Sabres have to kill one as McCabe goes to the box. They're resilient until the very end, just as Mantha scores. Green takes a shot, Vertuzzi tips it onto the post, and it sneaks underneath Allmark. Mantha's there to uh, hammer it home behind Linus. The Red Wings and the Sabres are, as we talked about, making a name for themselves, and no surprise, here we are tied up with five minutes remaining. Um, It gets a little frisky in those closing minutes, too. McCabe buried Larkin at one point when he got touchy with Allmark. Larson and Vanek got a little handsy by the bench, which started a bit of a full-team grapple. Allmark is then called in for some vital, if a little bit routine, saves, but they get to overtime for the second time in as many nights. Sabres roll out with Eichel, Sherry, and Risto against Mantha, Larkin, and Cromwell. Eichel draws a penalty going to the net 55 seconds. It was slightly similar to that uh, Risto line and penalty. It's Larkin to the box, or Risto line and penalty against the Habs. It's Larkin to the box for holding. And they roll out the same line from the night before, Eichel, Skinner, Risto, Dahlin. They have some great possession, but this time they don't capitalize. And we play four on four for a long time when Larkin comes out until Linus makes an amazing save to send the Sabres to the shootout. It's maybe one little complaint I have about the 3-on-3 overtime. I think it's awesome, but I don't like that when you have a power play and the power play ends, it goes to 4-on-4. I think 4-on-4 hockey is incredibly boring and such a far fall from the excitement and openness of 3-on-3. And we watched the Sabres and Red Wings play, I think, like two and a half minutes of four-on-four in this overtime period, and the three-on-three just brings so much more to the game. But regardless, we go to the shootout. Round one, Nielsen gets saved. It's a bit lucky on that one. Goes five-hole on Linus, but it deflects off the pad wide. Eichel just misses the net completely. Round two, Vanek gets saved. Palmer is saved. Round three, Nyquist hits the post, and it goes out, and Casey is saved. Round five, Larkin is saved, and Sherry is saved. Round six, Anathasu scores five hole, and we're staring down the barrel of the gun, but Tage Thompson steps up, and oh my word, someone pick up Howard's soul off the floor. He fakes left and slides it into a wide open net. I mean, Howard was in the corner by the time Tage Thompson slid this puck into the net. Abdicator is saved. Skinner is saved. Rasmussen faces an outstanding glove save from Linus Allmark, and Sam Reinhart scores in the eighth round, and it's nine straight wins, and the Sabres are top of the league standings. Three points. Point one, the Allmark-Hutton mentorship experience is paying off. Number one, he's playing really well, 
and getting the opportunities to start small and be successful. He's 5-0-1 on the season. He was asked about playing mostly Saturdays and typically on back-to-backs, and he said, well, I don't think it's too much about the day. You know, you wake up, you've got to go to work. He's making some mistakes, but he can learn from his positioning and playmaking, and this game was a perfect example of this. His first goal was a clear mistake that he can learn from, but he was largely outstanding for the entire game and the shootout, and they wouldn't have won this game if he hadn't been a rock in the back. Um, Another part about this tandem that's working really well is that Carter Hutton has also been fantastic, and this system of having a mentor goalie experience doesn't work if that's not the case. Point two, Rasmus Ristolainen is quietly becoming one of the more detested characters in the league. He was under Abdicator's skin this entire game. He was picking at Vanek throughout the game as well. You get the sense that teams hate playing against him. He's not quite as bad as like Brad Marchand, but he might be reaching a new level with that physicality and that pestiness and that pettiness as this season goes on. Point three, the Sabres are top of the NHL standings. It's their first time at the top of the NHL standings after week one since 2008. And what an incredible run. You look at the teams that they've beaten in this nine-game winning streak. Montreal, Pittsburgh, Minnesota, Winnipeg. Tampa Bay and Vancouver before they started kind of sucking. And looking ahead, I think we're finally going to see this streak end as we see the games upcoming this week, but we'll talk about that in our preview. But here we are, just what a good feeling for this franchise, for this corner of New York, and it's been an outstanding ride and long may it continue. Stock up, we're going to talk about Zach Bogosian and what an ascent to where he is Now, you think about his last few seasons. Detroit was his 19th game of the season, and he's already passed his total number of games played from last season, where he only played 18. And even before the numbers, he just looks great. He's an excellent, assured, veteran presence on the back. He'll never wow you going forward, but he'll... But he's looked really sharp, especially as a partner for Rasmus Dahlin in the last few games. Being a slightly more stay-at-home guy, it really complements Dahlin's willingness to get forward. And he's got four points in his last four games. Also want to talk about Jack Eichel. His 23 assists now ties him for third overall in the league standings. He's 16 assists away from tying his career high, barely a quarter over the way through the season. On the other hand, he is only on pace for about 20 goals. He's got five this season. That could change very soon. The eye test says he's not shooting a lot, and he could start picking that up in the near future. But it's also a shift in the change of team. He's not the sole guy anymore, so he can rely on others to score and can focus on creating opportunities rather than always looking to be the one putting the puck at the net. You look at his line partners from the last few seasons, and if you assume that one or both of them was always Kane or Reinhardt, the other was Johan Larson or Benoit Pouliot or Zemgis Giergensens or Scott Wilson. Now he's pretty consistently either playing with Sam Reinhardt and Jason Pominville, but the other guy is Jeff Skinner. Tage Thompson is our other guy, stock up. Three goals in four games. That shot in the Detroit game, he said in the post game that he was mad because he had taken a high stick shortly before that shot, and he was asked if he could shoot that puck any harder, and he replied with something like, I don't know, I put most of everything I have into that one. His shootout goal kept the team in the hunt for their ninth straight win. They would have lost if he hadn't capitalized. I mean, there are still questions going forward. Like, Is there room for him in this team? 
Can he thrive as a second-line left winger? He seems to only thrive on that left-wing spot. He really struggled as a right-winger. Is there any benefit to playing him there over Connor Sherry? We'll see where games progress and things go as we go forward, but he's definitely got to be in our stock-up category from these last three games and this last stretch. Stock down is kind of hard to do on a nine-game win streak, but I'm going to pick out Connor Sherry here. He hasn't even been bad. He's had a couple good performances over that stretch, but he hasn't scored in regulation in eight games. And he went, uh, sorry, he had three goals in the three games to start this streak, but that last goal in game was the Oh, I'm off track here. I'm sorry. He had three goals in three games towards the start of this streak, but the last goal in that last game was the first game of this win streak, and he has not converted since. So kind of pairing that with our previous conversation about Tage Thompson, is there a world where we see Thompson leap over Sherry into a more of a second-line winger role? I'm not sure if that would be beneficial and is Tage Thompson someone who can play well with Casey Middlestat? I'm not entirely certain. I'm not certain that that's something we would necessarily want to see, but if I have to pick out a player who's really struggling here, I I don't even know if it's really if struggling is a word you can apply to Connor Sherry, but he's been a little quiet the last couple of games. That's it for part two. Join us in part three, where we'll be previewing the Sabres' next outings, talking about what's going on down the road in Rochester, around town in the league, and opening up our mailbag with questions from the listeners. We'll see you guys in a second. All right, guys, welcome to part three, and we're going to start off by looking ahead to our next three outings. On Tuesday, the Sabres welcome the Sharks to town, and since the last time we played them, where the Sabres lost 5-1 in San Jose, the Sharks have struggled marginally. They've gone 9-8, and and the narrative that was starting to dominate their season was that Eric Carlson, their big offseason addition, really the big offseason addition in the league, had not scored a goal yet this season. He did finally get one on November 17th, and he's added another one. He's now, uh, now at two goals, 13 assists for 15 points. They're still top of their division in the Pacific, but their division is a bit of a fire, so they might not take much respite from that one. They need to improve, and because this is their time, even if they re-sign Eric Carlson, they're still an old team that pays some of these old guys for a long time and they don't have a first-round pick in the next two seasons, kind of going along with what we talked about and what are you reading. This is their time. It's been their time for the last few seasons, and they haven't been able to capitalize. They're kind of on the clock this season, and they will come to town having lost their previous game Saturday night 6-0 to Vegas. They were down 4-0 in the first, so they will very much be looking to have something to prove if there's a place where this streak might finally break, I would be surprised I wouldn't be surprised if it would be here. If it doesn't break here, we're also looking at a really difficult outing at Tampa Bay on Thursday. And they will still be mad about the 2-1 overtime loss to the Sabres a few weeks ago, where there were several guilt edge chances given away where they could have won that game. Unlike the Sharks, the Lightning have been really good since facing the Sabres. They're 4-1 and one since the Sabres beat them a few weeks ago. 
They play the Devils Sunday night and the Ducks Tuesday night. It's likely that in that time they will reclaim their spot at the top of the division standings before the game on Thursday, but we'll see how that plays out. Biggest news for them is that Andre Vasilevsky went down with a broken ankle days after that last Sabres game. And so the Sabres will see one of Louis Domingue, who was quite good against the Sabres, or Edward Pasquale, who I think, as far as I know, has been pretty good for them as well. Going into a back-to-back, while in Florida, the Sabres will stop by the Panthers on Friday. And the Panthers are 8-9-4 and four on the season, and it's a little surprising considering I think most of the people had pegged this to be kind of their year to push on to a playoff role. They were a point out of the playoffs last season, and their team going in is largely unchanged from last season, and they added Mike Hoffman. And Hoffman has been their point leader on the season with 11 goals and 11 assists. I think he recently broke some sort of franchise point streak record for them, but nothing else has really gone well for them. They are currently bottom of the Atlantic, below Ottawa, Detroit, and the Habs, three teams that I think we thought were going to be rebuilding this season. And in our season preview, I listed the Florida Panthers as a reason why I didn't think the Sabres were going to make the playoffs. The the Panthers are supposed to be there contending for that kind of position, and they haven't been living up to that so far this season. I think their main problem is they can't keep the puck out of the back of their net. Roberto Luongo is pretty old, and he went down hurt for nine games. He's back, but has recently aggravated something at the same knee injury and is declared day-to-day, so who knows if he'll be back in time for Friday. In the meantime, James Reimer and Michael Hutchinson have not been that inspirational as backups. They both have save percentages that are far below the standards of a playoff hunting team. They're both well below nine, and they've conceded 78 goals on the season. That's the team as a whole, not just Reimer and Hutchinson. It's not horrendous, but it's not the caliber of a team looking to make steps forward from last season. They're also without Vincent Troitrek, who recently broke his ankle, Derek McKenzie, who's out indefinitely after a shoulder surgery, and our old pal Jamie McGinn, who had back surgery before the start of the season. It's to be determined on Luongo, but it hasn't been going well for them so far this season. I think if the Sabres, in the event that the Sabres have two rough ones against the Sharks and the Lightning, this is an opportunity for them to get angry and bounce back, but we'll see how things play out over the next three games. Down the road, Emmerich's had a bit of a rough one where they dropped a home loss to Utica. That one was particularly frustrating as that was a night that Lawrence Pilot had been called up and then subsequently scratched, which is a bit frustrating to see. But he was sent back down for a comeback victory that they had in Binghamton Saturday night with a 4-3 win. Highlights show Alex Nylander having a particularly good game with a goal and an assist. The goal was an empty netter, but he still had a bit to do where he had to scoot around um, the defending player at the point, burst through with speed, and his assist, on the other hand, was a burner along the boards where he lost his man, got below the net, and set up Kevin Porter. Zach Redman also scored in that game because water is wet, so... Things are still going mostly well for the Americans, but they'll want to pick a few things up as they go forward. Around town, Ottawa is the first team this season to concede 100 goals, and I saw a really interesting stat from Ben Mathewson, who is a great follow on Twitter if you would like to check him out. That's Ben Mathewson. I believe it's Ben underscore Mathewson. Um, 
and the stat that he brought forward is a team has not given up 100 goals in 23 games since the 95-96 San Jose Sharks. And he tweeted a table showing this, detailing the 10 most recent occurrences of teams giving up an interesting stat to have a table on of teams giving up 100 goals in their first 23 games. So Ottawa were the first since the 95-96 Sharks to do this. But on that table, interestingly enough, Ottawa has three of the top five. And of course, the other two are from the 90s. But that was just something that was kind of interesting. Because they're also having further issues in Ottawa as their owner, Eugene Melnick, is suing business partners over their failed venture to build the Senators a new $4 billion stadium. It's a long read that I might unpack next week in What Are You Reading? So we'll keep it short here and just say that the Senators really don't need another PR issue. But here we are. Other news, really quickly, the Canucks forward Anton Ruchel was fined $5,000 for biting Mark Edward Vlasic. That seems a bit light uh, in my opinion, but okay, here we are. And moving on to our mailbag. Remember, you can tweet us in at ickgaw, that's I-C-G-A-W. You can also shoot us an email at ickgawpod at gmail.com. Someone was tweeted in from Robert, and his question was, is Nelson the most improved or underrated Saber? And we've talked about him a few times this season. And one of the things that I've talked about is I'm incredibly impressed at how far he has come and where he is as a player, considering what I saw at the AHL level with the Rochester Americans. I remember sitting next to a good buddy of mine and he leaned over and he said, man, Casey Nelson is just destined to be an AHL career defenseman. And by the end of that season, he had had like 57 appearances for the Sabres, where as we'll talk about in a second, he was not amazing, but it was far above the level that we ever thought he was capable of. He was an undrafted free agent, and he actually was pegged to become an unrestricted free agent through a bit of a loophole. I don't know the exact numbers, but I know that if you reach a certain age and you haven't played a certain number of NHL games, you automatically become an unrestricted free agent, even if you're not at the age of 27, which is the like NHL official age for becoming an unrestricted free agent, regardless of any circumstances. But he did fall into that loophole, and they eventually decided to keep him. He had decided to stay, and he signed a two-year deal this summer. In 17 games, he is probably on pace for his average number of points. He has three points in 17 games. His ice time is down this season. He's averaging a minute less this season compared to his career. And his Corsi scores are slightly improved from about 50% to over his career to 52.2 over these 17 games. Improved, but not significantly. The team is naturally better, and I think that stat will naturally increase. But I think the big part to talk about is that ice time drop is significant. And it's significant because it's a good thing. I think he's being asked to do much less than last season. Is he the most improved or underrated? I don't know. If people are murdering Casey Nelson on Twitter this season, then yes, he's underrated. If they're not, then I think he just is what he is. He's a good third line dude. And when he's there, he's very steady. The only significant change really I've seen this season is that he's actually playing as a third liner and he isn't being asked to do more than what he's prepared to do. 
And that has allowed his performances to improve to a level where he can be impressive. It's impressive that he's here and able to compete at this level. I never thought he would be here, and I love rooting for him as a result of that path to this team, so good on him. I don't know if I necessarily answered that question. I guess my answer is kind of no, because I don't think he's that much better. I think he's just in a better-suited role. I think if people are really on his case about something that he's been doing, I, I personally, I think they're wrong. I think if there's a, a defenseman you want to be on this season, it's got to be Marco Scandella with his struggles to deal with players with pace or technical ability, his struggle to get the puck out of the zone in certain situations. Casey Nelson, I don't have a whole lot of gripes, I think, in 17 games that we've seen him play. I don't have much of anything that I think I want to complain about. So I guess yes or no, depending on what other people think of Casey Nelson at this point. Robert, thank you so much for your question. Another one that was tweeted in is, should I change the name of the podcast to It Can't Get Any Better? And I guess that is kind of something to think about as the Sabres are now top of the standings. However, I think with the name, it can't get any worse. While the Sabres are much improved, I fully back my ability to continue producing America's worst podcast. So I'm sure the name and title will be safe going forward because of my complete lack of ability. That is just about going to do it for our show. If you've enjoyed to sh- uh, if you've enjoyed today's show, we would so appreciate it if you would like and subscribe at iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you find your podcast. If you really loved the show, we would so appreciate it if you would drop us a five-star review on iTunes. Remember, you can tweet us at ickgaw and email us at ickgawpod at gmail.com. We'll be coming at you next week to talk about the challenges that the Sabres are facing in this upcoming week. Thanks so much for joining. Keep those heads up, Sabres fans. It might not get much better, but remember, it can't get any worse. We'll see you guys soon. Kick in to Oposo. Oposo hanging on to it back at the point. Oposo drops it off in the corner to Eichel. Eichel buzzing around. Eichel in the side.